there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Arlo White, the lead Premier League commentator for NBC Sports. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Joe Lowry, Matteo Benetti, and Emilia Lopez, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast's growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Arlo White. Our guest now is Arlo White the lead play-by-play broadcaster for NBC Sports coverage of the English Premier League. Arlo, thanks for coming on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, Grant. I recognize that backdrop. The last time I was there was a dinner party at your house. You cooked up a storm (laughs) and we had a super evening about two years ago. Doesn't time fly? Great memories of that evening. Had a, had a good group of folks over for that night. Uh, would be great if we have a, a chance someday in a post-virus world for you to come back to the U.S. and, and, and recreate that. Um, we're recording this at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday morning, the day after Election Day. Obviously, a lot's still up in the air. We're coming out on Thursday morning. I'm just curious to know, what's it like following the U.S. election from the UK? Well, um, I'm operating on about four and a half hours sleep. And, but obvi- I'm obviously interested because of my links with the US having lived there and broadcast to, to the country. So, you know, I've been mildly obsessed with this this entire race all along. And, you know, as I'm obsessed with most things to do with the United States of America, but, but it resonates over here massively, whether it's the language situation, uh, um, people feel an affinity with the United States and the political process over there, because obviously it affects us with the US being such a powerful country. But people are more au fait with the electoral college in America than they are with the French election and France is 20 odd miles away. You know, that it goes almost unheard and unrecognized when the French have an election um, and the Germans have an election. People are more fascinated with with the the state of play in America. So a lot of people have stayed up very, very late and and probably went to work this morning, the day before our second lockdown starts uh, tomorrow, Thursday. Um, Yeah, people are absolutely fascinated. A little bemused as well, I have to be honest. But there again, this is the country that voted itself off a cliff with uh, with Brexit. Um, the, the, the votes in this country became suddenly more binary in an American sense. You've got Republicans, and Democrats. We had, you know, leave or stay or, or remain. Um, and and it was very, very close in, in, in what this looks like. It's going to be very close as well. So you set up a binary argument and it just demonstrates on both sides of the Atlantic just how divided people are. Yeah, I I'm curious to know, like, you obviously have this great affinity for the United States. You lived in the United States for many Mm. years. You're a big Chicago Bears fan. Um, What was sort of the original source of that affinity for the U.S.? Well, it it was an auntie, um, my aunt Kath. It's actually my dad's auntie, but because she was the youngest of 10 brothers and sisters, and my dad was the eldest of the eldest, they were more like brother and sister growing up than they were um, auntie and nephew. So I regard Kath as, as my my auntie. She's still, I think she's only recently become a, a citizen. She moved over to Chicago in 1959. Oh. She married an African-American GI, which, you know, when he was introduced to the family in 1959, Lester, that caused a, you know, a, a, a few raised eyebrows. She went to Chicago, obviously there's no internet. She disappeared off the face of the earth in terms of contact. And then um, I think my grandma went out to see her in the 70s. But then she got, sadly, she got uh, divorced from Ernie. 
and then married my Uncle Bill. So Uncle Bill is an Irish-American who had his own. So Kath had four kids and lots of grandkids. Bill had four kids. So it's this brilliant blended family that has this full of characters and people from different backgrounds. And I went out there. Kath and Bill uh, paid for me to go when I was 13 in 1986. And that was the trip that changed my life. I, was, I flew out on my own as a 13-year-old. And I can remember driving down the Dan Ryan Expressway in the, the first night I was there and seeing the Chicago skyline. And that changed my life. And from that moment on, I've always wanted to be in America. I've always wanted to either broadcast to America, visit it. Um, and it started a lifelong obsession. I'm delighted to have lived there. It's kind of odd that I took so long to get out of this country to actually make it to live in America and then got sent home. But it was the job of a lifetime. So I, I was never going to turn that down, being the lead commentator for NBC for the Premier League. Um, but it's, it's, it's a relationship that I see going on for the rest of my life. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, one question I've got before we get to actual Premier League discussion is I wanted to ask you about your role in the Ted Lasso series. <laughs> I, I ended up binge watching all 10 episodes in one weekend during the last international break. Mm. And it was so much better than what I expected. I had some friends tell me this is really good. Mm. And people who weren't even soccer people telling me mm. this. But this show was really nothing like the sort of mini ads for mm. the NBC Premier League. There, like there was real character development. It, this show went in directions I didn't expect. Mm. It was extremely meaningful and 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 positive in a in a non hokey way. Mm. That I, it, it was sort of stunning to me. I, did you have any mm. idea when you shot your scenes that it would be that good of a show? Um, I, I, I had a sense that it would be because I'm, I'm a great believer in Jason Sudeikis and, and uh, Brendan Hunt. Um, and Brendan's become a good friend of mine. Um, and he and Jason have been writing stuff together for, for many years. And, and, you know, when I've seen Jason work up close, um, I flew in to New York the night before we shot the first ad. And we're in the studio at NBC in Stamford, Connecticut. And I just thought, well, my bit's in a, in, a, in a while. So I had my suits on. I was ready to go. And I just sat on the steps in the corner of the studio. I didn't realize that I was in Rebecca's eye line as she was at the desk with Jason slash Ted Lasso. And we hadn't heard him speak before. We hadn't experienced his character. So it, he, I think Rebecca had some certain cues. She had to hit certain lines she, she had to hit, but she had no idea what what Jason was about to do. And then he launched into Ted Lasso. And I'm in the corner of the studio crying with laughter, just try, thinking, oh my God, I'm in Rebecca's eye line. If she looks over here, she's going to corpse and it's just going to be a disaster. And I thought, I just, I was just paralyzed because I just couldn't, I was just sat there laughing. And it was clear that that, that, that character resonated and, and was a lot of fun, but you can't get 10 episodes out of one, essentially what is one gag, which is the hapless American coming over and, you know, that joke about not knowing what soccer is, not knowing what offside is. So when Jason and, and Brendan asked me to, to be part of the show, they were down already filming at Selhurst Park slash Nelson Road, the dog track, um, the home of the Greyhounds. And, uh, and and Jason came dressed as Ted Lasso. He just finished shooting and he watched the first half. Graham and I, I think it was uh, Crystal Palace, Manchester City. We had a laugh at halftime, whatever. And then he met us in the, in the parking lot afterwards. And I said, so, you know, Ted, 
tell me more. I, I was desperate to know. And he said, well, let's just put it this way. The character is going to have a little bit more depth than what you experienced <laughs> last time. So I, I, got, I got a sense from that, that, you know, something special was happening. I only shot for one day. We did, uh-huh. we did the whole thing. It was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. The, the, the voiceovers were done in this room under a blanket during lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, they added stuff and that took ages. I had to, like, there was 80 files of audio that I had to record uh-huh. here and then WhatsApp across one by one. It was an arduous process. So I really earned my money, put it that way. Um, but, I, but even seeing little clips that I was commentating over, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be really good. But I had, same as you, I had to, well, no, actually you binged it, didn't you? I had to wait every week for every episode. I had no idea what was going to happen. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but something that happens at the end of the final episode, I didn't know until I read that line. Oh, wow. Uh, And it it maybe went in a slightly different direction to what I was expecting. But it it was fun to be a part of. They renewed for season two and season three. So uh, I I don't know. I've not heard anything, but um, I I wasn't, no spoiler here, I wasn't killed off. Uh, in in any episode, yes. as, as far as I know, so if they need <laughs> they need an announcer for season two, season three, they know where I am. But it was just so brilliant to be a part of, and, and I'm very proud of it actually. And I'm and I'm delighted that people have have enjoyed it because I think it's the show we all needed right now in a pandemic year. Yeah, for any listeners here who haven't seen Ted Lasso, like watch it now, and especially right now. I I, I think it's something like that, right now <laughs> that I wouldn't mind watching the ten episodes again, just like to to feel good and, and positive yeah. about things mm. um there is soccer going on right now yeah. this sunday we've got a big showdown manchester city liverpool liverpool's top of the league city is in 10th but they still have a game in hand they're not that far off this has been sort of the defining game of the last couple mm. seasons what stands out to you about this one? Well, it's it's you you've said it, Grant. It, it's the standout game, and it has been for the last couple of seasons. You know, watching um, Arsenal uh, uh, win at Manchester United at the weekend, and you remember it wasn't that long ago that those were the matchups that decided titles. And it's a reminder of how far they've fallen off the pace, particularly Manchester United. There are signs that that Arsenal are coming back uh, in a structured organized way under Mikel Arteta you know United continue to flail so it's Man City and Liverpool who now lead the way and some of the best most intense entertaining football matches that I've ever seen live in person have been between these two sides I can remember the 4-3 at Anfield a couple of years ago when Jurgen Klopp came to the desk afterwards and dropped an f-bomb live on, <laughs> on NBC. I said he was so excited. He was he he was the, like the rest of us. As, as a as a manager, he was delighted that they'd won the game. As a, as a fan of the game, he was buzzing. And he came and he said, "Well, the crowd must have enjoyed that." But but for managers, f you know, and it's like we have to apologise for the fruity language, <laughs> Jurgen. You're live. <laughs> um, but that's that, that's Jurgen. He's fabulous. Um, and later on that season, when it looked like Liverpool were, you know, closing in on a first title for what was it then, 29 years or whatever it was, um, there was an epic battle at the Etihad and it ended 2-1. Uh, Leroy Sane hit the winner. Now, Manchester City, that was put down as the game that won them, won them the title. They still had to win, I think it was the final 13 games, to pick Liverpool by a single point. So, you know, the, these these matchups, these these games between these two sides have not only gone a long way to deciding it, but they have been so good to watch. Um, it was a shame last year that, that that Liverpool had already won the title. They went to the Etihad behind closed doors and they got walloped, didn't they? It was 4-0, it could have been 8. Um, and I think that might be on Liverpool's mind going into this game. At, 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 at Anfield, Liverpool own Manchester City. 
and they own Pep Guardiola. The Etihad, it's a different story. So it's going to be really interesting. Both teams have, you know, key injuries. Um, Liverpool are supposed to be in crisis, but they've won 5 nil away in the Champions League at Atalanta and they're top of the, the Premier League. Um, so I'm just looking forward to, again, a really sophisticated, technical, exciting game of football. Uh, and I And I think they will deliver again. We're still only seven match days into a 38-game season, mm. but so far, at least, this Premier League looks more wide open than we've seen in recent mm. years. What are some of the reasons for that in your mind? Well, we're behind closed doors, and I think that's a, a, that's a leveller. Um, we are seeing extraordinary results, like the 7-2 Aston Villa over Liverpool. I mean, it, I, we, we just commentated on the... Manchester United won Spurs six game. And I said to Lee, we're not going to see the like of that again this season. Well, it wasn't the most ridiculous game of that day, you know, <laughs> within hours. Villa had scored seven against against Liverpool. So th- there is something slightly strange going on. And I think it's, you know, behind closed doors. It's the incredibly short turnaround and off-season. It's teams having, you know, Spurs were having... League Cup games on a Tuesday, Europa League on a Thursday, you know, a game on Sunday, then Tuesday, Thursday. The teams are being changed and chopped and changed and, and rotated to such a level that I think it's leading to some to some um, interesting situations. But I think what's being overlooked, Grant, is the fact that this league is very deep now. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to and watch Wolves and they are an excellent football team to watch. Leeds United, okay, Leicester walloped them on on Monday at Ellen Road, but Leeds have been fantastic to watch. You know, they, they, the cliche is there's no such thing as an easy game. Well, in the Premier League, that is true, except possibly West Brom. We'll have to see if they can pick it up a little bit and maybe Fulham, you know. But th- th- there are so many good teams with deeper squads than ever, with very good managers. The cream of, of, of world management talent is, has come to the Premier League. So they're not only good and deep and, and strong, but there's a different tactical challenge to each game as well. That's what I, I find absolutely fascinating. So my hope is we get a title race. And my prediction would be, I don't think there's going to be a team nudging 100 points this season. Um, I think it's going to be one, maybe very early 90s or perhaps even late 80s in terms of points. And hopefully there'll be two or three, maybe even four teams in the running towards the end of the season. That would be great. I mean, the last time we saw something like that with the, the champion in the 80s was Leicester mm. City. Um, mm. And and. Leicester's back at it. They're they're in second mm. place in the league. Uh, I know how closely you follow the Foxes. Mm. Uh, what do you like about this Leicester team? And do you think it has a real chance to keep this going? Yes, I do. I, again, I thought they turned in a very sophisticated performance uh, at Leeds. You know, it, it goes into what we've just been discussing about how strange this season is. Leicester have won away. Okay, West Brom in the opening weekend. They've won 5-2 at Manchester City. They've won 1-0 at, at uh, Arsenal. They've won 4-1 at, uh, at Leeds United. Yet they lost at home to West Ham and Aston Villa and didn't score a goal. So, you know, it's, it's weird. It's odd. Um, but in Brendan Rodgers, I, I was very, as a fan, hugely disappointed. But even just looking at it from the outside, I thought it was inexplicable the level to which they collapsed towards the end of last season. Right. The writing was on the wall way before lockdown um, and their post-Christmas form w- was very, very poor. In fact, after they beat um, 
famously beat Southampton 9-0. Southampton actually got more points between that game and the end of the season, which is remarkable. Mm. But they they had such a good start that it was only the last week of the season that they were ejected from the uh, from the top four. So they're not, they're not playing Champions League football. But they've recruited well. Uh, Fafana's come in, 19 years of age, uh, centre-back from St Etienne. It just looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, Under the uh, the Turkish international, yeah. he, and, he and Vardy have got, you know, he comes off the bench and sets Vardy up for goals. It, it's it's remarkable. Um, the fullback from from Atalanta as well, the Belgian. It, it's just very, very good. And, and their recruitment is excellent. It always has been, save for that summer after winning the title. But I think the whole club was in a bit of a turmoil. Just couldn't believe what was happening. And they took their eye off the ball a little bit. But their recruitment continues to be excellent. So I, I, would, I would definitely say that Leicester would be a good shot for top six. And I would hope, um, because it's good for the league, if they give it a really good go for top four again. Now, one thing you do that I have really enjoyed are your inside the mind one-on-one interviews with the most prominent figures in the Premier League. Mm. And and I'm wondering, in general terms, how do you set up these interviews? How do you prepare for them? Um, it, it's I much prefer going to the training grounds and seeing them in person. At the moment, you know, there's a lot of Zoom going on, and for you know, for obvious reasons. And but I've still managed to get some some really interesting chats with these guys. What you have is an it's an international. I think it's called an international content session, an ICS, and all the clubs are you know contractually obliged to to put people up each week for 10 minutes you get a 10 minute slot um and we decided very early on that we would take advantage of this but when it's pep or it's jürgen klopp yesterday i interviewed harry kane or it's pierre Emerick Aubameyang, brendan rogers these guys the big stars um because they i think they're they're the ones that most people want to want to hear from and we decided that we're not going to be asking about who you're signing are you going to resign you know do you feel under pressure all those sort of classic british sort of <laughs> we're chasing a line here um let's get managers arguing with each other and you know we just talked to them about yeah the game and i think you know initially pep was looking at me like you're not gonna ask me about my future you're not gonna ask me about who i'm signing in january no, I just want to talk to you about the game, you know, and you. Um, and you have to get into it quickly because you have only got 10 minutes. Um, and I've enjoyed them. I've really, really enjoyed them. Um, and in, the, the best moment, I think, this season was when and you sit here in front of this microphone, in front of this computer, and you just wait for the person to appear. And I was the last, I think, for Jurgen Klopp. And he appeared on the screen, and I, I was about to say, hi, Jurgen, and he just went, there he is. The star of Ted Lasso. I was like, what? I said, you watch it. He said, it is the greatest show I've ever seen. You know, and I was like, well, I'm not quite the star, but I appreciate it. And I'm delighted that you watch, you know. And we just went, he said, he said his wife, uh, he's got his wife to watch it. And his wife was saying, are you not worried that Ted's making management look really easy? And he said, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's just a great show. So it's nice to have build up, built up that rapport with the key guys in the Premier League over that period of time. And I think they trust that. It's not that I'm asking them softball questions, but they trust that I'm not trying to catch them out. I just want to talk to them about football. And I think they like that. Because it happens to be their favorite subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this is what they're experts in. And, and yeah. I, I did an entire book where it was just soccer talk um, mm. with uh, talking about the craft of the sport position by position with people like yeah. Vincent Company and Roberto mm. Martinez. And, and um, it, it is sort of fascinating to me, and maybe it's a reflection of sort of the, the larger media out there and the questions these guys get. But I like when we ask 
questions about the finer points of the sport itself, which is what they are actually experts in, as opposed mm. to trying to get that headline. Yeah, and you know, I think these days, and when you do, when you've set up that report, and they know what you're there for, the, the thoughtfulness of their answers is just fascinating. And, and again, you know, Jurgen, the first time I interviewed him was obviously before they won the league, before they won the Champions League. So they hadn't won anything at that point. But he was fascinating on this idea that all the players at Liverpool were walking around with a, he called it a backpack, the backpack of history, the weight of history on their shoulders. And that it was his job to remove that and to create our own story. He says it's very difficult at a club like Liverpool to do something that no other manager or no other team has done. Well, you know, you go down the line now and they've got the most points they've ever had. You know, they've won a Premier League title. Okay, they've been champions 19 times, but that was the first Premier League title. They've won the World Club Championship. They've broken certain records. So they are doing things that no Liverpool team has done before. And it's down to the sheer personality, intelligence and charisma of that man to get everybody in that club invested in what his vision is. And when he explains it, you just sit there and you just have to listen. And it's it's fascinating. And you do, you learn, you know, we talk about Ted Lasso. I'm not saying that Jürgen's a Ted Lasso-like figure, but he is, he exudes an inspirational, um, um, charismatic air and and he backs it up. And it, he's fascinating. So it's been lovely to, to talk to them about about themselves. Yeah, we've had the fortune to interview Klopp a couple of times now, once for a magazine story. He also came on this podcast uh, a couple of months ago. But I have one interview I've never gotten one-on-one -on -one is Pep Guardiola. Mm. Um, the closest I ever got was in Barcelona. I did a big story on the club back in like 2013 when he was still there. And I was doing a set of interviews with Gerard Piquet and, and Cesc Fabregas, like right at the edge of their dressing room. And Guardiola, who knew everything that was going on, was sort of lurking, like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so that's as close as I've ever gotten uh, to a one-on-one -on -one with him. Um, what, it, what has it been like for you to interview Pep in particular? And, and what's the best way to get good stuff out of Pep? Well, I think he, he um, again, because he lived in New York for a year, didn't he? I think in between, was it between Barcelona and Bayern Munich? Yeah. So he's he's very aware and he's, he's an American file. Um, he's aware of the audience. He now knows that I'm NBC. The last interview I did, I think just as we came out of lockdown, he, he, um, he, he sat down with a, a Nina Simone t-shirt saying, you know, no to fascism. And that wasn't a mistake. That wasn't that wasn't by chance. He knew who he was talking to. We had to get high level clearance. Can can we put this interview out? Um, so he's engaged in that way, and he knows how to get to get his message across. Um, but if you want to talk about the game of football, and you, you try, I mean, I, I can't talk about football to Pep Guardiola in any way in his ballpark in terms of knowledge. But but I'm interested. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, little things like if there was something about football you would change, what would it be? And he said time out I'd have timeouts like NBA because he watches a lot of NBA mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm thinking oh wow so he said yeah I'd love to be able to because I can see what's happening in a game after 10 minutes whether whether what, how I've set the team up is working whether it's not I know how this game's going to go so I'd call a timeout get everybody over and talk to them so it was amazing when when Project Restart happened and I could go back to the memory banks when we had the water breaks halfway mm -hmm. through each half effectively a timeout and you saw Pep was so engaged with all his players, right? You're doing this, you know, you think he, he's got his wish. He's got his time out and he's going to use it. And he did. And he was affecting games. And then you saw other managers sort of catching on rather than the lads just having a drink. All the managers started using it as a timeout. Um, and it was just nice to be able to go back, having got that from him 
to then be able to re- reference it during a call. And, you know, don't underestimate how valuable these chats are with these guys are when I'm actually calling a match. And you can, without harping on about it, you can recall certain things like that, which enhance the, the game broadcast as well. So there's a lot of different benefits of it. Before we go on to the next question, could you tell our listeners where they can find these interviews? So they're on the uh, NBC YouTube channel. Um, and they're also on the NBC Sports website as well. Um, okay. So there's, there should be a whole bank of them. The most frustrating thing is that I, I need to get a VPN grant because I can't even watch them. Um, <laughs> oh, so no. I just have to I just have to recall what I said at the time. Um, <laughs> so I need to get one of these VPNs, but I'll, I'll get the kids to sort that out. Uh, but yes, it's the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Now, in my experience, the older that I get, and I've been you know doing journalism for two and a half decades now, I I will admit that I sometimes connect better with coaches than the players themselves or slightly better you know Mm. and and i think that's just because i'm closer in age now Mm. to to the coaches a bit more than the players especially the like teenage players (laughs) i know yeah um but i'm wondering like when you interview players like you mentioned Mm. harry kane you just interviewed obama young um which top players have been the most interesting interviews for you and why Mo Salah is very engaging um, and also uh, uh, has the ability to to have a laugh with you as well. I think it's important. To, you know, it's, it's entertainment. Um, Harry Kane is very good. He gives good, thoughtful answers. Hyun Min Son was fascinating. I, 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 I've been obsessed with this idea that the night before the Asia Games final, when what happened in that 90 minutes or 120 minutes determined whether he would have to go into the military for two years, um, you know, and it was all on him, basically. I was fat, And he, the answer he gave, you know, he didn't sleep. Um, the pressure that he felt was just absolutely fascinating, but he, he felt free to talk about it as well. And I find that, you know, I've, I've been interviewing footballers for nigh on 15 years. I've seen a huge change in, in, in their approach i.e. they feel freer to express themselves. They feel, and I think there's an intelligence that may be, and a confidence that wasn't there a few years ago. Um, whether that's the foreign influence that's come in, you know, maybe back in the day they didn't want to appear uncool by taking interviews seriously. I don't know, but players now will sit down and they'll give you thoughtful answers to questions and, the, you know, provided you're being respectful yourself and not trying to catch them out. So, yeah, there's they're some of the highlights. Eden Hazard, you know, I mentioned that I was a. Uh, I mentioned to him that you know, uh, uh, thanks for the goal against uh, Spurs, that clinched the title for, for Leicester. Added before we started, and I said, uh, I said to, during the interview, I said, well, well, "What's your favourite goal for Chelsea?" He went, "Well, uh, you're a Leicester fan, so it was the one to the Battle of Stamford Bridge." I said, "God, I can't. I love you. I love you as a man." And, it, and he was. He, we had a little glint in his eye. So it, you always get something from from these fellas in a way. I don't think ten or fifteen years ago, may, maybe you wouldn't. And and they have their own individual characters. And and they are intelligent and they're engaging and they're, they're good to talk to. We're winding down here with Arlo White. A couple more questions for you. You got a shout out recently on Twitter from Vin Scully, who's the legendary Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> voice for decades and decades, uh, kind of defines 
baseball and, and the Dodgers in a lot of ways. Mm. I know it meant a lot to you. What was the story there? Well, I've been very fortunate that, that I've met Al Michaels and I think Al Michaels, I met him twice. And, and he is, to my mind, one of the greatest announcers in the history of any sport. He just has this iconic voice. And Vin is that for, for baseball as well. Doc Emmerich recently retired. I spent 15 minutes in his company at Madison Square Garden. And I, and I just treasure the moments that you can spend you know, in the presence of greatness and people that I massively look up to. So I haven't spent any time in the company of Vin, but um, I love these little videos that he started putting up. So he has, I mean, can you imagine how many stories Vin Scully has <laughs> in his vast data bank, you know, in his brain of, of going back to the 1950s in baseball? And he's obviously got somebody behind him who's setting all this stuff up and he just has to sit and talk and it's great. Yeah. And these videos can be, you know, two minutes, it could be five minutes. He's on Instagram, he's on Twitter. And I just kind of, whenever I see them, I retweet them and just say, God, these are brilliant. You've got to watch these. And he responded with, the, and I woke up one morning and I looked and I'm like, um, thanks, Arlo. I'm a big fan of your work. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, look, if somebody else wrote it for him, I don't care. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Vin Scully watches Premier League and he likes what I do. And that to me, I'm going to get that, you know, printed. And that, that's going on, on the wall in, in the office because no one will ever take that away from me. I've obviously screenshot it. And um, and hopefully one day I'll be able to sit down and and, um, and have a Zoom call with him and just sort of pick his brains about about our craft because that's what I'd be really interested to talk to him about. Yeah, absolute legend. In what seems like a lifetime ago, it had been announced that you were going to spend part of last summer calling Chicago <laughs> Fire games. Yeah, uh, That obviously changed with the virus, uh, but how was that going to work? Were you planning to be with your family in Chicago, or, or how were you going to do that? Well, uh, NBC were, were very, very good in allowing me to to um, connect uh, with, the, with the Chicago Fire, and all the only thing they asked of me was, you know, can you do it during the, off the Premier League offseason, which is great, because I think it's perfectly reasonable for me not to be flying transatlantically in between uh, big games for, for NBC. So um, for me, it, it, it's become like a summer project, so I hope, you know, Last summer would have been fabulous um, in mid-May to have gone across to Chicago, maybe spent six weeks to two months, had the family there for a spell, you know, maybe do as many games in that period as I possibly could at home and on the road. And of course, at home meant Soldier Field, which is very special to me. Um, and so just going into the booth and calling games from you know, that's that that was hugely attractive. Um and, and going on the road as well and, and reconnecting not only with Chicago, but with Major League Soccer, which is very dear to me, mm -hmm. um, given my history with with the Sounders, etc. Um, but obviously, yeah, like you say, the, the 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 virus has got in the way of that. You know, I mean, that my my issue isn't isn't it's very minor compared to what a lot of other people are going through. But hopefully things will improve in 2021 and I can uh, I can come across. Uh, for a, for a spell next summer because it will be very special to to call games for the fire with you know I don't know 30 40 50,000 inside Soldier Field and they've had the whole rebrand um the club is going in the right direction it's reconnected with the fans so obviously it's frustrating that that we can't all be at Soldier Field and and experience it but hopefully 2021 will be a little kinder and I can't wait to get there and the olympics are supposed to yeah. happen next summer mm. uh fingers crossed um you called uh, the U.S. women's uh, mm. performance at the last Olympics, which was somewhat surprising, but um, like in, in terms of their result, um, mm. are you are, are you scheduled to be part of that next summer? Scheduled to be part of it, yes. Um, and and the Olympic the Olympic experience in in soccer is very strange because 
you don't spend a lot of time in the in the actual host city. Right. So you're kind of on the fringes of the Olympic Games, and you, you're in places like Edinburgh, Manaus, um, you know, and, and the Olympics are in London and Rio. But, you, you know, so it's, it's kind of odd. But the, the U.S. women's team being the story that they are with the quality that they have. So one of the greatest thrills I've ever had uh, in announcing it was the 4-3 against Canada in the semi-final mm-hmm. at Old Trafford. That was just astonishing. Uh, in terms of a spectacle. And then the final with over 80,000 and Carly Lloyd's uh, a couple of goals against a very good Japan side. So I've, I've had the, the pleasure and honour of calling them uh, winning a gold medal. Um, and then, like you mentioned, it, it was really, it, it was a shock. I think, was it in Brasilia that they went out to Sweden? Yeah. But they'd had a day less preparation and they'd struggled a little bit in Manaus. And coming from that sort of, that heat and humidity on a day less rest, we were a little nervous going into the game, if truth be told, and and they they just didn't perform. But yes, we're, we're scheduled to, uh, to to be there next year, and um, w- w- on whatever scale that will be, whether they scale it back and keep it all in Tokyo, I kind of quite like that idea, so I can just mm-hmm. spend some time in the host city of a, an Olympic Games. But look, if we have to travel around Japan, that's okay too, because what a fascinating country to to go to, which I've never been to, and I can't wait. I will say one of my more fun nights of the last several years in, in soccer sort of as a side thing to the job itself was when you mm. and, and a group of NBC folks uh, and me went to a Brazilian club yeah. game in Belo yeah. Horizonte, which was yeah. in the stadium where I know they had redone the stadium, but it was the actual location of mm. USA one England zero from the 1950 world cup. One of the yeah. great upsets of all time. It, it was just such a really cool exposure to Brazilian soccer culture um that night so it was uh that was a fun cruzero who were called the foxes the blue foxes aren't they as well so that they played in blue and the, and the game was great was it 4-2 against independiente i think, I think so. it was yeah. yeah and we got talking to those guys and uh he gave me his cap which is somewhere it's um <laughs> down here somewhere amongst a lot of caps and it was just great to to talk to those guys who he didn't speak a word of english we didn't speak any portuguese well you may may have done great because you're multilingual but i certainly didn't but we had a chat about football that's how football works isn't it you know yeah you can yeah. talk you can talk the language of football without speaking each other's language so it was yeah a memorable night and and just to wind up here last question what do you want to do work-wise in the years ahead do you want to move back to the u.s full-time at some point or or how are you looking at this i i want to do the job it sounds really corny and cheesy but i want to do the job that i'm doing forever if i if i could um i love the league and i love broadcasting to the united states so i have no particular desire to go to a domestic broadcaster here full-time, for example. Um, you know, maybe that, that choice is taken away from me at some point, and, and that's something that I would have to pursue. But I enjoy doing a little bit of uh, five live work on BBC Radio. They're my former colleagues. I spent 10 years there. So to do a few Monday night games has been a lot of fun, and it's nice to to do a radio game, which is very different. The whole experience is very different uh, to a TV game. So I keep my eye in domestically. Um, if it came to, to moving to the States, I, I, I'm open-minded about it. And absolutely at some point can see myself there or, or maybe having a property there or so, what there will be a lot of involvement with the state. What, what that looks like in the future, I don't know. But if you know, my, my agent would probably, probably kill me for this, but if, if, if someone offered me a 15 year contract to do the job I'm doing, I'd sign, I'd sign now because I love it so much. Um, and long, long may it continue. You know, that's all I can say. But, but the TV industry being what it is, 
and we're in a state of flux at the moment. Things change very quickly, but we've got a, a, a over a season and a half to go, and I'm going to make the most of every game. Well, your love for what you do comes through in every broadcast. Uh, I want to say thank you as someone who who watches those broadcasts. And Arlo White, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Grant. I can't wait to, uh, to for you to cook me another meal in that nice apartment of yours. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Arlo White as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.